0: Most people can tell you three or four verses to try to lead someone to Christ, get that quick decision, but you go beyond that now. And I tell you, when I go to other churches sometimes in, in evangelism and traveling and preaching somewhere, I'll stand up and say, you shall know the truth and the truth shall... Except a man be born again he shall not... I mean, nothing. I'm, I'm a star. The ignorance of God's word is not there. I think Jesus was saying when I come again, will any of anybody be saying the Bible is the inspired word of God and the final authority for my life? Will anybody be saying my body is the temple of the Holy Ghost and no, I'll not defile it with the lust? I'll seek God and set his priorities as my priorities in my life. He said, When I come again, will, anybody, will there be any that have faith? Will there be any that have convictions? Will there any that have standards? Let me tell you something. God's standards are absolute. It's not your ruler and so many times I have people say, Well, that's just your interpretation. I said, I'm not interpreting, I'm quoting well it's just your interpretation I'm not interpreting at all here's what it says you tell me what it's saying well and they don't want to talk about why they don't want the conviction of the holy spirit in their lives to accept this as authority like one atheist said one time if I deny evolution and I know that there's real problems with evolution and if I accept creation then I have to acknowledge that there's a God and I'm going to have to deal with him and I don't accept that There are people today that say, I cannot accept the word of God as absolute, because if I do, then I've got to face up to the fact that I've got to do something about it. And Jesus said, when I come again, will there be any faith? Will there be any that will be willing to say, Lord, whatever your rule is, that's what my rule is. I'm going to use the same rule. And if you and I will use the same measurement, the same foot, the same yard, the same inch, there won't be confusion. But if we don't, then there's going to be a lot of confusion. Malachi, the third chapter in the sixth verse. For I am the Lord, what? I do not change. I change not. Hebrews 13.8. Hebrews 13.8. Jesus Christ, the same, yesterday, today, forever. Jesus Christ does not change. His standards do not change. Christ's authority in the church concerning submission to spiritual authority. Who does that guy think he is? I mean, does Moses think he's the only one who hears from God? Hebrews 13:7. Remember them that have the rule over you, So it's spoken unto you the word of God. Whose faith follow or imitate? Jesus said, Will any do or believe what I've taught in this? For they believe that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. All Scripture is authoritative in my life. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That the man of God may be perfect or mature, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. And it was Jesus who said in John twelve forty eight, will you look at it with me? John twelve forty eight. The word that I have spoken, the same shall what? John twelve. He that rejecteth me receiveth not my words, hath one that judge him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. It doesn't make any difference what ruler you and I may use, what measure of standard we may use. if it's contrary to the word of God, it's wrong. and when the final day comes, whatever we've built on this earth, it'll all no matter what we think, how it measures, God will measure it by the word, and that's how it's going to be judged. God's word and God's measure is absolute. Luke 20 seventeen18, Luke 20, seventeen and eighteen. and he beheld them and said, "What is this then that is written?" The stone which the builder rejected, the same is become the head of the corner. Whosoever shall fall or stumble upon that stone shall be broken. But on whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. There are going to be many people in that day. They're that going to say, Well, I thought, I felt. Well, let me say that again. I don't think you'll be able to say that. That's what they're saying now. I feel, I think, that in that day every mouth will be shut, and the judgment will be absolute, and it will be right, and it will be true. My church must teach the foundational truths of Scripture and reinforce my basic conviction, a conviction that says, why do the believers stay in liberal churches today? Why do believers deny the, the authority of God's Word? Why do they stay in churches that are dead and cold and compromising? Because they want personal peace? And because they want affluence? And they don't want to pay the price it's going to take to take a stand against these things. And I think it's time for believers to speak up when they say I can't compromise by staying in that type of situation I have to go where I know the word of God is going to be declared clearly and I am amazed sometimes when I talk to different ones that I've known down through the years to find where they're drifting back to the staid denominational churches many of them that they they came out of because they were dead they were cold they were not preaching the word and today they're slowly but surely drifting back into them. and I'll tell you something the world is hungry for reality the world is hungry for truth How many of you know you thank God for the day when you received truth into your life and it changed you? There are many people out there today that are looking for that truth and they're looking for someone that will tell them. In Christianity Today, the editor wrote this this story concerning a Gallup poll. The all-too-obvious failure of liberalism has coincided with the hunger for basic morality and a revitalization of fundamental Christianity. This has created a day of unprecedented opportunity for evangelicals to present the gospel to the world in which we live as well as to affect as well as to affect substantive changes for good within our own society we must now show the world that evangelicals care I'm talking about truly care truly love them with moral activism I, I mean it's one thing to say we love someone but not if we don't go Jesus don't just say be warm God bless you if you can help someone we should help them and reach out and try to help them There's millions of school aged children right now in the United States who are being amoralized in our school system. Children, there's no right or no wrong, and they need to find someone who can love them and direct them and bring them to a place of truth. We can't vote for our morality. We've got to begin to stand up and go to the polls and vote for those people who are going to stand for the righteousness of the family and stand for the the strength of the family and the righteousness of a nation, and God's going to help us. And I'll tell you, thank God we've said it's time to take sides and people are starting to take sides. And that's what I want to close up with tonight. It's happening. The church is awakening. And I said 33% of born-again believers are voting. That ought to be 93 instead of 33. And only you and I can challenge them. We need to go to other believers and say, do you know what the voting record is? Here's a copy of the voting record. Here's what they're saying. This is what they're voting on in Washington and in our state capitol. You need to begin to know who you're voting for and get out there and vote for the ones that are going to uphold righteous standards. It's starting to happen. Thank God some believers are finally crawling out from under the curtain and they're walking out and running for office. They're taking a stand. I thank, for, thank the Lord for Bob Stark who moved up here and just went out and said, I'm going to do it. And he did it. And now the last time he wasn't even, didn't even have anyone run against him. He's doing such a good job. And he's affecting things in, in Tallahassee. And I believe before long he's going to be going to Washington. I believe God's raising up more and more men like that. But that didn't happen too much in the past. And now believers can begin to to make phone calls and write letters and make a difference and get fantasy back into our governmental system. You know, the real problem is, like one man said, it's hard to get Christians started. And after they've gotten started, they quit. It's hard to get them started again. They say, well, we did that little job and they sit back and then everything comes right back on them again. We are only beginning. We've got to make a change. Thank God for the promise keepers. I believe that what's happening there is a phenomenon that is is amazing and i hope that next year or this year whenever we can get the chance it's, i know it's next week but they're loaded up but next year by the grace of god we can make a plan for that and take other fathers with us to the promise keepers why because they're they're promoting even though they don't believe everything that we believe they're promoting the strength of the family and we need to you know back it up and encourage that as much as we possibly can thank god for that that's happening worldwide evangelism we're talking about every one win one you know, there's enough knowledge, Bible knowledge, in every person sitting in these pews right now that you could win people to Jesus Christ. But we're not doing it. Head knowledge is not what it's, it's got to be a heart burning to see the law one to Jesus Christ. And then prayer and Bible study in the churches, and many churches, are being reemphasized. You know, it's amazing how the difference, you know, let me tell you this one. About 10 to 15 years ago, the Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night services were almost equal in the attendance. You think something is happening in our society today? I mean, it was very hard to tell the difference. And you remember that, Kip? Sunday morning, Sunday nights so were virtually the same, maybe a few less on Wednesday night, but that doesn't happen anymore. But now prayer is, and Bible study is being re emphasized, and I praise, pray God that it will begin to cause a new influx of souls into the kingdom of God. Our only hope is that each and every church will come back to the place where they teach the foundational truths of Scripture and reinforce the basic convictions of the belief. I trust that these will become real convictions in your life, not just possibilities, but convictions that nobody can move you from. The fifth one tonight, My children and grandchildren belong to whom? And it is my responsibility to teach them the scriptural principles, godly character, and basic conviction. Let me say that again. My children, if I have children, it is my responsibility for my children and my grandchildren, my responsibility to know that they belong to God and to teach them scriptural principles, godly character, and basic conviction. Of all the things you and I will ever have on this earth, nothing will last in eternity but our children. There's no more eternal possession that we can ever have on earth than our children. Everything else we'll leave behind. I told you of the multimillionaire that thought he was going to take some money with him and he didn't take it with him. And uh, he left the money in the attic and said when he died he's going to grab it on the way up. And when two days later, his wife, after he died two days later, the wife went up in the attic and looked and saw the bag of money. She said, I told him he should have put it in the basement. You see, we can't take anything with us, but we can take our children with us to heaven. Someone said if... They could be given a diamond and they could inscribe one thought to summarize their life to be read at the judgment day. That would be something permanent. No, something even more permanent than that is your child. You want to have a statement at the, at the end of life. You want to have a statement that when you stand before God, it can be in your children. Now, you say, well, my children aren't doing that right. Your children, if they're still alive, there's still hope. You and I can't make our children do anything. But we can pray, we can teach, we can instruct, we can guide, and those things will never get out of their system. Sooner or later, God still has an opportunity to work in their lives. Now, some people say, well, it's just too late. My Don't ever say that. It's never too late. God is able to, to restore that which the locusts and the canker worm and the pulper worm and the army worm and all the rest of them have eaten. Never say that. I mean, I've known people that have gone bankrupt three times, and you'd think, they, well, I might as well give up, and they've come back and been a success again. And if that's true with our children too, if it looks like we haven't succeeded, don't ever give up because that's the most important possession that we can possibly have. Just keep on praying and get others to pray with you. And I'll tell you, every child that's born in this world needs to be saved. Not get religion. Needs to be saved. None of them come into this life saved. They need to know that there's an eternal home, home and they have to make a choice. Whosoever will may come and drink the water of life freely. And it's the parent's responsibility According to this conviction here, it's the parents' fullest responsibility because that's what the word teaches: to train up the children and give them the convictions and the truth as they're growing up. Now, I know that every one of us that have been born are belonged to God by creation. We already belong to God, but that's not enough for salvation. We need the new birth. Paul the apostle said concerning believers' children in First Corinthians, the seventh chapter, the fourteenth verse. Look at it with me. First Corinthians seven fourteen. Very enlightening portion of Scripture here that many... I've seen so many Christians that are shocked when I read this to them and explain to them what I believe it says. 7.14 For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband else were your children unclean. The Greek word there is profane. It means are not consecrated. But now are they holy. Now are they dedicated. Now are they set in a special place. That's why I say that as long as you and I have, uh, are, one of, one of the, the father or the mother are saved, one or the other, the child is sanctified or made holy until they come to the age of accountability. They are covered, I believe, under the covenant of grace because one parent is a believer until they come to the age of accountability. Then they must make a decision for themselves. It says here very clearly that if you have two unbelieving parents and that child dies, there is no promise that I see in the word of God for that child. Let me explain something to you. I don't like to say that. I would love to be able to say it. Now, here it says that the children are able to go right into heaven. That is not what it says here. It says if you have an unbelieving husband but a believing wife, or an unbelieving wife and a believing husband, one believing parent sanctifies or makes the child holy, otherwise they would be unclean, profane, and there'd be no hope of eternal life for them when they die. Some people say all babies go to heaven. If I really believed that, I would be out there promoting abortion because more people would go to heaven if they kept aborting babies if they could kill them when they were, before they were born than if they lived because we know that many of them that are going to be born and raised are not going to go to heaven. That would be a wonderful gesture and a wonderful thought. The Bible says, "Except you become as little children, you cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven." That is not saying that children, all children, go to heaven. It means if you have the faith of it, a little child, you have to have the simple faith of a little child. When the word of God is presented to a little child, you just receive it. You tell a little child something, if they trust you at all, they'll say, Yeah, I believe that. And Jesus said, Unless you have that kind of faith, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. He's not saying every child that's ever born is going to go into heaven. Otherwise, why would God judge the nations in the Old Testament? Why would He have them all destroyed? Children, parents, everything destroyed. They didn't go to heaven, they were all unbelievers. That's why we don't have child baptism, baby baptism. We don't believe it's scriptural. The scriptural procedure is to repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ. We have what's called child dedication. And I think a lot of parents have the wrong idea when it comes to child dedication. They think, I've got to get my child dedicated in case the child dies when it's young, it won't, so it go to heaven. And some people think, I need to get my baby baptized so that if anything happens, they'll go to heaven. But just the fact that you have a believing parent when they're little children is sufficient according to 1 Corinthians 7.14. I believe that. says what it says. But why do we have child dedication? It's not for the child. Child dedication ceremony, and we're going to be having one of those in the days ahead, child dedication is where the parents themselves promise faithfully to walk and live before their children and teach them by principle, precept, and practice uh, the principles of God's Word. Teach them through God's Word and lead them to Christ at the very earliest age they possibly can. Keep pouring it into their hearts and minds and hoping it gets down into their hearts. That's why in the Old Testament, God said to the parents, when you rise up in the morning when you walk in the way when you sit down to eat when you lie down at night to go to bed implant on your children constantly the laws and commandments of the Lord why? because you're responsible for teaching them and bringing them to a knowledge of God as a parent that's why it says here it is my responsibility to teach my children and by the way man I just emphasize and again this is I'm trying to correct some misconceptions nowadays there are many people who get mad at the church because their children do not serve the Lord It is not the Sunday school teacher's responsibility. It is not the pastor's responsibility. It is not the youth worker's responsibility. It is not the Christian school's responsibility or the Christian high school or the Christian college's responsibility to train your children. Why? How can they do for money what you won't do for love? God, nowhere in the Word of God, says that it's the school or the Christian worker or the pastor or anything. It's none of their responsibilities what happens to our children. It becomes our responsibility because I believe my children, my, my grandchildren are, are belong to God, it's my responsibility to teach them the principles and the convictions that come. Now, Moses taught uh, the delivered Jews about the law in Deuteronomy the 6th chapter. Would you look at that with me? Deuteronomy chapter 6. What I'm teaching you tonight, many Christians today do not understand. Why am I teaching it to you? So that you will have an understand basic understanding to teach others what the Word of God has to say concerning our responsibility with our children and our grandchildren. And you'll see why I say both of them in just a moment. Deuteronomy 6, verses 6 and 7. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. First of all, it's got to be in thine heart. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. You notice the first thing he says there, it has to be in your own heart. And many times the reason people can't share it with their children is because it isn't vitally, critically, in their own heart. If Jesus Christ is Lord of your life and every area of your life, it becomes very simple to be able to transport this information to your children. It's when it's like pulling teeth. I know a lot of parents in the years of my ministry who have sent their children to Sunday school and church in hopes that the church will get them straightened out. Wrong program they're going to watch you. You have they have many more hours with you every week than they do at the church. Now we try to make as big an influence as we possibly can on young people when they come to church, but it's not the church's responsibility. It's the parents' responsibility. That's why parents need to understand these truths. Look in Deuteronomy the 11th chapter and the 20th verse. Chapter 11 and verse 20. Let me actually start with verse 18. Therefore, shall you lay up these my words in your heart and in your soul and bind them for a sign upon your hand that they may be as frontlets between your eyes and ye shall teach them to your children, speaking of them when thou sittest in thine house and when thou walkest by the way, when thou liest down and when thou risest up and thou shalt write them upon the doorposts of thine house and upon thy gates, that your days may be multiplied in the days of your children in the land of which the Lord sware to your fathers to give them as the days of heaven upon earth. For if ye shall diligently keep all these commandments which I command you to do them, to love the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways and cleave to cleave them, then the Lord will drive out all these nations from before you, and ye shall possess greater nations and mightier than yourselves. Every place for upon the souls your feet shall tread shall be yours from the wilderness of Lebanon, from the river, the river Euphrates, even unto the uttermost sea shall be your coast. And there shall no man be able to stand before you, for the Lord your God shall lay the fear of you and the dread of you upon all the land that ye shall tread upon As he hath said to you, Behold, I set before you this day a blessing and a curse. A blessing if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you this day, and a curse if you will not obey the commandments of the Lord your God. He said, Now just choose what you're going to have. But he said the most important aspect is to teach your children and your grandchildren these principles. You say, Why is that so important? Would you take a look at our nation today? When I was a child, even though many people didn't go to church, there was a general knowledge of God and a fear of God in the neighborhood. You could say to something, don't you know that God's going to be upset with what you're doing right now? And they would have some kind of an idea of what you're talking about. They had some kind of a religious background principle that uh, grabbed a hold of them. You say to some young people today on the street today and they might touch your throat. They have no concept whatsoever. If you have something they want, what are you doing with it? Here, I will take it at any cost. They're shooting people for a pair of tennis shoes, shooting people for a jacket that they like. If they see a ring on somebody, they'll cut off their hands to get what? No knowledge whatsoever of God. And in one generation, a a nation can go from a godly nation to a godless nation. That's why it's so important. God's Word says if you want to live a successful life and if you want to have prosperity and you want to have blessing on your land, what you learn, teach your children and teach your grandchildren. It's the knowledge of God and His commandments that keeps a nation from deteriorating. Proverbs twenty-two six. A very familiar portion of scripture. Proverbs twenty two, six, train up a child in the way he should go, or according to his bent, and when he is old he will not depart from it. implant plant those principles in their lives when they're very, very young. You know, I've actually had men talk to me, and as we talk, begin to talk about things of God, and they don't profess to be anything. They'll say, yeah, I know what God's Word says. I said, how do you know that? Well, when I was a child, my mother said, her. I thought, this, this week, this last night, we were meeting with a man, and he said, I came from a, such and such a church up north, and uh, uh, I, I know what the, they teach, and he, what he was saying is, I still remember all those things. He said, today, I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't run around with people that do, and, and, but uh, he said, well, all the rest of my family are just in a great big mess, but, uh, uh, you know, I, I just can't do that. He had some things put into his heart way back when he was a child, And they couldn't get away from it. Train up a child according to his bent, and We won't get into that completely. But uh, in Isaiah 38, good for parents to write these down if you've never written them down before and studied them. Isaiah 38. You remember Hezekiah had uh, gotten ill and the prophet came to him and said, "Uh, get your house in order, you're going to die. And he turned to the wall and wept and said, God, please give me some more time. And God gave him an additional 15 years to live which were the 15 most miserable years of his life. He would have been further ahead to let God have his way in that situation. But he sang a song, and part of it was here in the 19th chapter of the 38th chapter of Isaiah. The living, the living, he shall praise thee as I do this day. The father to the children shall what? It's not the Sunday school teacher to the children. It's not the pastor to the children. It's not the Christian school teacher to the children. It's the father to the children. The father to the children. Now, don't misunderstand me. It doesn't mean that they're the only ones that are responsible. There has to be reinforcement. There has to be reinforcement. That's why why most of the young people around here probably have six or eight, as it were, adopted dads. We know what dad expects of them. If they get out of line and say, whoop, hey, what would you do if your dad saw you doing that? That's reinforcement. That's why the connected family is so important when... Grandma and Grandpa take the kids. You know, nowadays it's almost a joke. Well, we take them and spoil them rotten so we can send them back and the kids will have a terrible time with them. Wrong. Grandparents, before God, are required to reinforce the things that Mom and Dad should be reinforcing. Now, if you have reinforced it with your children, you won't have trouble reinforcing it with the grandchildren because the kids will say, Hey, I got it when I was young. You're going to get it from Mom and Grandma and Grandpa too. And what they're saying is right. So if Grandma and Grandpa are not an unimportant part of their life anymore. They become a very vital part of their life because... They, the kids begin to think well mom and dad are just kind of strange but, wow mom, grandma and grandpa are strange too I mean they're, they're all saying the same thing and you get that reinforcement I knew when I was a kid if I went down the street and got in trouble my grandmother came out kid whipped the daylights out of me and that had a real a cleansing effect let me tell you and right in between them I had an aunt just two blocks away I had an aunt so I, I usually stayed off that street if I wanted to get in trouble I'd go down another street where I didn't have a relative why? because that, there was a reinforcement element there that God's word says is so important in the life of raising children well look at Ephesians 6.4 Ephesians 6.4 And ye Sunday school teachers provoke not your children to wrath but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord That isn't what it says is it? But ye fathers and ye fathers provoke not your children to wrath but bring them up in the nurture and admonition that means with loving principles of the Lord It doesn't mean by screaming them up it doesn't mean nagging them up it means by loving admonition. This is what the Word says and this is what we're going to have to reinforce in this home. We love you dearly and we can't let you do that. You're going to have to pay a price if you do that and that price will be there every single time you do it. We love you so much we can't allow you to do that very thing. I want to tell you something. This isn't easy for parents but strong saints are never mass produced. Every saint that's strong is going to be produced on an individual basis God's going to deal with you and deal with you and deal with you to bring you to a place where you're willing to do what God wants you to do but you see the trouble was if God said back there now uh, this is a, a day of choice either blessings or curses if you'll do what I'm telling you to do here you'll have blessings in the days ahead if you refuse to do what I tell you to do you'll have curses in the days ahead and I wish you could see the parents that come and say oh man if I had only known these principles if I had only known what you're talking about now what a mess I've got on my hands every strong saint is homemade individually made as they make quality decisions of choices they're going to have to make with their family. Lovingly made, uniquely made according to their bent. Every child, when you're dealing with a child, every one of them is going to be absolutely different. It would be wonderful if we could just put them in a mold and squeeze them real tight and pop them out and they'd all be the same. But they're not the same. And so we find out where they are, where they're going, where they're headed, what they're interested in. And we love them in that area and Channel those gifts and talents to serve the Lord. Very important. Secondly, the first one is my responsibility to teach children. Uh, the second one is we are to train our grandchildren. God desires family continuity. We're to train our grandchildren. I've had children tell their parents, no, your business how I raise my kids now. You raised me, it's my business to raise my kids. Boy, they don't know what they've just they've done. They have disconnected a divine connection here that God himself says is absolutely essential. Whatever you do to your parents, get ready. You lay buzzard eggs and you won't raise chicks. If you have a disregard or a disrespect for your parents, the grandchildren's grandparents, when you get older, they'll say, well, we don't have to listen to mom and dad anymore. either. They're getting older just like grandma and grandpa were. Hey, it comes to that. It's like someone says, we're killing the present generation through abortion. The next generation say, well, they didn't think too much of us. Let's get rid of the old people. Euthanasia. Genesis 18. By the way, God is interested in family continuity. I was reading a book last night. Of course, I have difficulty sometimes when I read some of these authors. You know that. But he said that when God called Abraham, it had nothing to do whatsoever with Abraham's conduct. Wrong. It's all of grace, all of mercy. it had nothing to do with Abraham's conduct. Well, if that's the case, then we need to get Moses straightened out here. Genesis 18, 17 through 19. And, and the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him? Now, it has nothing to do with this conduct, but this is what God said through Moses. For I know him that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken of him. Because Abraham does it, makes it, it's going to make it easier to make it possible to do what I told Abraham I would do. It had something to do with his conduct. God says, I didn't pick this anyone. I picked Abraham because I knew that he would train up his children and his household the way he was supposed to do it. Genesis in Genesis 48, you remember that Jacob was blessing his grandsons, Ephraim and Manasseh, the sons of Joseph. In Exodus, I believe it's Exodus 10, Exodus chapter 10. Let me tell you, if you see it and hear it, it'll stick with you a lot longer than if you did hear it. Only about 5% of what you'll hear will last 24 hours. Exodus, the 10th chapter, verses 1 and 2. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go in unto Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, that I might show these my signs. In other words, his plagues before him. And each one of the plagues, by the way, belittled the gods of Egypt. Every one of them had something to do with one of the gods they worshipped in Egypt. Uh, he said, And that thou mayest tell in the ears of thy son and of thy, what? Sons, sons. Sons, what's a son's son? grandson, what things I have wrought in Egypt, and my signs which I have done among them, that ye may know that I am the Lord. Let me tell you, only the convinced are going to be convincing. The convinced person is going to be convincing to someone else. He said, once you see what I've done, don't just stop there. You tell your sons, and you tell your son's sons. Why? It's important for your children to know that our God is alive, and he's a God of miracles. There are some young people today that are growing up in Christian homes that have no concept of the fact that God is still a God of miracles. And if you had God answer your prayers and you've seen miracles happen in your life, you need to transfer them on to your children. Transfer that on to your grandchildren. Why? It builds hope in them. Why do you think the nation of of, of Israel is still uh, uh, vital today? They constantly tell their children the history of their people, the history of their family, all the way down the line. Why? Because God has said that's the way to keep your children in the faith. Deuteronomy 4. Deuteronomy chapter 4. Moses is exhorting Israel here now. Just before he's ready to go up to the top of the mountain and view the promised land from Mount Pisgah. He said, only take heed to thyself, in verse 9, only take heed to thyself and keep thy soul diligently, lest thou forget the things which thine eyes have seen, and lest they depart from thy heart all the days of thy life. But teach them thy sons and thy sons' sons. He says, remember the important thing that you've seen me do and tell it to your children and to your grandchildren. Teaching and training our grandchildren excuse me, let me say this teaching our own children does not end the responsibility. It's one thing to train our own children. Train up a child in the way it should go. Not teach, train up a child the way it should go. And then we're to train, uh, help train our grandchildren. Our responsibility does not end with just our own children. And you see, it seems logical to me. Some people think, well, now I'm old enough, I can go and take off and just retire and relax and enjoy myself, which is wonderful for you to be able to do that from time to time, but you still do not get out of the responsibility to train your grandchildren. Why waste experience? People serve the Lord for 40, 50 years, and they say, Well, now it's time for the ones to take over. Why waste all that good experience? That's when you are the richest. In fact, Psalm 91 says, The righteous shall flourish like the palm tree, and the older the palm tree gets, the sweeter the fruit it produces. So if the righteous are supposed to produce like the palm tree, when you get older, you're not supposed to quit. That's when you're supposed to get even sweeter in your service for the Lord. I remember one time I sat at another church here in, in Winter Park, and a, an elderly lady at 80-some years of age who had accepted Christ when she was about five got up and saying, the, the longer I serve him, the sweeter he grows. And I just sat there and went. What a testimony. In her mid-80s, and she accepted Christ when she was five, and she says, the longer I serve him, the sweeter he grows. And I thought, how wonderful. There's so many saints that have gotten pickled by the time they get up to that age. Well, I've seen it all, I've heard it all, and there's just nothing but a bunch of hypocrites out there, and I'm not... Let me tell you that that sourness will go right down into your children if you don't stay sweet and continue to speak of the blessings and the provisions of the Lord to your children on a continuing basis and to your grandchildren. Proverbs 17, 6. Proverbs seventeen six. Children's children, what's that? Grandchildren. Children's children are the crown or crowning glory, it says in the Living Bible, crowning glory of old men. You ever seen grandpas around their grandkids? You ever seen a bag of mush? <laughs> oh, and he's the cutest thing They just make fools of themselves around their grandkids. Why? That's their crowning glory. And there's no greater glory for a man to see his children grow up in the fear and admonition of the Lord, and no biblical principles to operate by. Them. I mean, just, they just—they just can't be proud enough of that. Children's children are the crown of old men. Proverbs thirteen twenty two. A good man or a godly man leaveth an inheritance to his what? You say, Well, I can't leave any money to my grandkids. It's not talking about finances here, necessarily. It could include that, but it's talking about prayers, a godly life, a good name. Sometimes it might include houses and lands and wealth and so forth. But if I had to choose between the two, I think I'd take the former. A good name is rather to be desired. Than silver and gold, the Bible says, a good name. For so you can say, my father was a godly man. My father walked with the Lord. Jody's great-grandfather, her grandfather, godly men, walked uprightly before the Lord. I mean, their, their character was spotless. We just, we just couldn't find anything. They just loved the Lord with all their heart. What a heritage. I didn't have that on my side of the family. But if you and I want to really have a heritage for our children is to walk uprightly and godly before them and to teach them these things that they need the proof of a godly parent or let me say it another way the proof of a true success as a father is godly grandchildren why? because we have implanted the principles into the children and then they, they've, plant, they've transferred it to the grandchildren that, that should thrill any, any person and when I say that someone says well that ha- isn't happening in my life don't let that stop you from being all you can be and continue to pray and continue to walk and continue to teach. You and I cannot make anyone do anything, but we can lay the truth before them and then believe that God will do the work in their heart sometime. I say that because I've known of children that have turned their back on God and gone all the way into prison and on the death row and there have found Christ and have turned around and were pardoned and let out of prison. And they had gone to the very bottom. But they couldn't get away from the word. It finally got to them. God had to put them right down to the bottom before they would listen, though. That's why I say we hang on to promises of God's Word and keep on going. One of the greatest causes of the weakening of the home today is irresponsibility. We don't want to take on responsibility. Let's get Grandma and Grandpa out of the way and put them in a nursing home as soon as we possibly can. We don't have any time for them. We're too busy. You know, they're just, an add burden to us right now. We've got too many other things to think about. Uh, after they die we'll be able to get whatever they got left and maybe that'll help us get out of debt and So, let me tell you something that comes home to roost that's why in the Old Testament they said you're to honor the elders you're to honor the older folks this, that's, why do you think China has lasted so long as a nation regardless of what government's been there why have they lasted so long because they've always cherished and honored their parents and grandparents and great grandparents. the older they were the more awe they had to that person the grandchildren would come up and bow down before them and show them respect If we ignore them, don't pay any attention to them, call them old-fashioned, kind of dumb, ridicule them, belittle them, too busy for them, we're going to wreak havoc in our family in the days ahead because our children are going to pick up on those vibrations, and they're going to lose respect for them, and as I said, they'll eventually lose respect for you, too. And family relations are absolutely vital in in, in establishing a strong home. There's got to be that relationship. The reason we have to have them around, I think, is many times, if nothing else will teach us, it'll teach us the brevity of life. I still remember as a young child, and we had not had any deaths in our family, and I wasn't very old. I must have been about 12, 13 years of age, and they asked me if I'd go in and sit with Grandpa while he was in bed, and they didn't expect him to live. And I lay there looking at that man that I had seen working out in the yard and chopping wood and cleaning chickens and plowing in his garden and doing all these things, going to work and so forth. I saw him laying there dying made me realize, man, why is he doing this? This this man was vital. Why, Why is this happening? And I suddenly became aware of, hey, you know, we're not here forever. None of us are. And we don't like, sometimes we don't like to be faced with that, but it's important for us to see that and for our children to realize that. God says we're to honor them. And we're to honor them as long as they are our parents. You know, some people think that because Ephesians there says, children, obey your parents, and that we should honor our father and mother, That means while we're children. No, that means forever. As long as you're alive and as long as they're alive, they're still your parents. Why? Because how you relate to your parents is exactly how you're going to relate to your God. Whether you like it or not, that's the way God established it. They're teaching you proper authority, biblical authority. The father is to be the head of the home. The wife is to be submitted to the husband. And the children be submitted to the parents. And so when things happen in the home, father is going to be responsible before God for everything that happens in that home. If the children are disobedient, if God's not going to get after mama. He's going to get after the dad. Now, if you don't have a husband in the home, then the, the word of God says, when your father forsakes you, then will the Lord take you up. And mama, you've got to be strong. You've got to be stern. You've got to say, this is not going to happen in my home. And back it up with whatever you have to. And if you can't do it, then bring someone in the can. Okay? We're going to walk with God in this home regardless when it talks about honoring your parents it's talking more than it's not just talking about obedience some people have said well I, I do what my parents tell me to do time to time you have to realize that if it weren't for our parents we wouldn't be here there have actually been people young people recently that wanted to sue their parents for having them Can you believe that take them to court because they were born some of those cases were thrown out but that's where we're at today it means more than obedience it means the highest respect affection Reverence. We overlook the inconveniences and the idiosyncrasies and the little quirks that they do when they tell you the same story 35 times, when they ask you the same question 22 times. Let me tell you something be very, very cautious how you bite because later on somebody's going to be able to bite you. We all go down that same path and we have to remember that dealing with our parents. Even if they're senile, we have to honor them. Remember when Noah was drunk? One son came in and showed disrespect, and the other two sons came in backwards and covered his his nakedness. And God judged that one son who showed disrespect to his father, even when it's Leviticus 19.3. I want you to know that it's not just me saying it. Leviticus 19.3, take verse 2 first. Speak unto all the congregation of the children of Israel and say unto them, Ye shall be holy, for I the Lord your God am holy. Ye shall fear, every man his mother and his father and keep my Sabbath I am the Lord your God. He shall fear. That word another word in the accordance is reverence and I looked in the dictionary reverence means have deep respect mixed with wonder awe and love and adoration for them. How many young people do you know today that have that kind of regard for their parents? Listen to the young people God says this God's word says that we are to fear our mother father. Let me back then they of course they could put a they could put a kicker behind that. If you didn't obey your parents back there and you spoke against your parents in the Old Testament, God Himself said, You bring them out before the congregation, you say that they've been rebellious, they have done this, they've done that, pick up the first stones and throw it at them, and then the congregation would stone them to death. You see are you advocating that today? Don't need to advocate that at all. Simply telling you what God thinks of rebellion and disobedience and lack of respect for parents. He hates it. And there is a price to be paid if we don't understand it. If we don't realize the responsibility the parents have and what what you have as young people, back to your parents. God said you're to fear your father and your mother. If you do not learn to respect and awe your father, you'll never fear God as you ought to. This is the foundation of all your relationship to God. But God has put him there to speak to you and show you what obedience and disobedience really is and how to respect and obey his commandments. And as you respond to that, that's exactly how you respond to your heavenly father. You wonder why a lot of young people there are having trouble understanding what it means to fall in love with God and to repent and make God your father. They have a distorted view of a father. For them, they either have no father, or their father is cruel, or or he's stupid, or he's weak and it really scares them we have to explain to them all over again about their heavenly father the difference but it's so important that's why so many children today are mixed up they have a distorted picture of what God really is because they've never learned biblical principles and parents have not been willing to train them that's why many times when you're training uh, counseling youth the first question you ask them is what's your relationship with your parents how do you and your parents get along but let me tell you something usually the problem will stick right out on top when you do that Proverbs 6, 20 and 21. My son, I was talking to this youth. My son, keep thy father's commandment and forsake not the law of thy mother. Bind them continually upon thine heart and tie them about thy neck. It means cherish them. Whatever your mom and dad teach you, cherish that. Don't let it slip. What's happening? You go to school today and if you say that you're going to do what your parents tell you, you are in trouble. I mean, your peer group will laugh at you. They'll ridicule you. They'll tell you you're stupid and everything else. Amen. These are the 90s. We do it our way now. Not according to God's word you don't do it your way. You do it God's way. And May God give you the strength to stand alone. God's word says very clearly here that we are to forsake not the law of your mother and keep the commandment of your father and don't forsake it. Don't allow them to slip away. Hang on to them. Regardless of what your peer group says, hang on to them. Why? Because God will honor you when all the rest of them are sliding down the hill. Ephesians six one again, children obey your parents in the Lord, for it is right. What's the psychological and sociological reason for it? Don't worry about that. God just said it's right, and if it's right, then do it. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for it is right. And very simple. God is not complicated. He doesn't make some big formula. He says, This is wrong and this is right. Do what's right, and you'll be blessed, do what's wrong, and you'll be judged. Selfishness irresponsibility and disrespect will destroy a home coming from either direction. There has to be mutual respect before God. Look at Deuteronomy 21. I'm going to close with this portion. Deuteronomy 21. This is the portion I just talked to you about a few moments ago. Deuteronomy 21, beginning with verse 18. What happened to these youth when they rebelled against their parents? If a man have a stubborn and rebellious son, in other words, they've tried everything else and everything else has failed. They try to correct him, try to speak to him, try to reason with him. If a man have a stubborn rebellious son which will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother and that when they have chastened him will not hearken to them, they've done everything they can. They've spanked him, they've corrected him, they sat him in the corner, they did all these things, took his TV away from him, wouldn't let him play with his computer, and in a Nintendo game they broke it all. You know, None of those things would work. Then shall his father and his mother lay hold, the Hebrews actually seize him, grab him, lay hold on him, and bring him out unto the elders of the city and unto the gate of his place, and they shall say unto the elders of his city, "This This our son is stubborn and rebellious and will not obey our voice. We've tried to correct him, and he's rejected everything we've tried to do. He is a glutton and a drunkard, and all the men of his city shall stone him with stones that he die. So shalt thou put evil away from among you, and all Israel shall hear and fear. And if a man have committed a sin worthy of death and he be put to death, thou shalt hang him on a tree. Now, let me tell you something. Their disobedience back in that day was not a possibility. Kids talk about going out and getting stoned today, but it wasn't like this. You only had to get stoned once back there, and your habit was over. I mean to tell you, rebellion was driven out of the nation because they would not put up with it. They did everything they possibly could and when they could do no more, took them out and stoned them. What? God hates rebellion. Rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. I'm just trying to emphasize the importance of this conviction. My children and grandchildren belong to God, and it's my responsibility, my responsibility to teach them scriptural principles, godly character, and basic convictions. Again, I say, it doesn't mean that they're always going to listen, that they're always going to respond quickly, but once the word of God is down into them, it, it's like a officials. They can't spit it out. It'll be there to choke them until the day comes that God can get them in a corner and cause them to respond to truth. And it's so important for us to understand this principle. I would to God we had forty thousand parents tonight hearing this truth. Because this is one of the greatest problems in our churches today and in the families in our churches. No church is any stronger than the individual family. And there are Christian couples today that say, I can't do anything with my kids. And you go into the home and the kids rule and reign. The kids, Christian kids, so-called Christian kids go to the school. You have a hard time discerning which is which. Which is the unbeliever, which is the so-called Christian. And the parents say, I don't know what to do with them. Operate by biblical principles. And then leave the results with God. How many of you know that he, I, I've said this so many times, but it, it means a lot to me. God sent a rooster after Peter and a fish after Jonah. He talks fish and, and chicken. And whatever it takes for him to chase after your child when you commit him to God and ask the Holy Spirit to do whatever has to be done, he knows exactly what tool it's going to take and where it's going to have to happen. And God can bring them clear to the bottom. It's not important what happens to them physically. What's important is what happens to them spiritually. Uh, I mean, I, I had more joy in my son in the 26 years he lived than Some parents have with uh, the children that lived 80, to be 80, because he lived for Christ every day of his life. Now, if my son had been in disobedience, I wouldn't have cared if God took him right down to his deathbed and had him repent, and then he went out and went to be with the Lord. That, it's that important. I would rather have him go to heaven than live to be 90. What's more important, though, is to not only teach him and train him, but have him prepared to teach and train his children. You know what's really happening today? When children know what the Word of God says, and they know they're not obeying it, in many cases, they don't want children. Why don't you want children? Because I don't want them to be like, my, like I want. See, what's that mean? That means there are principles that they're still down, they're choking them, and they know it. God's still dealing with them. I don't, want I don't want each children to raise up and be, act like I did. Praise God. Then the Word of God and the Holy Spirit are still working in their life. So you don't want to quit whether they're responding or not. You want to keep putting the Word on them. You want to keep teaching them the Word. Why? His Word will not return void, but will accomplish its purpose. If we believe it, we walk it. And I thank God. There are some parents that are walking with hurt today. And they can give those hurts to the Lord and just say, God, I'm still believing that you are going to bring fruit out of that teaching that my child has down in me. Nothing is too difficult for him. We've been talking about biblical certainties and the fifth conviction. My children and grandchildren belong to God and it is my responsibility to teach them scriptural principles, godly character, and basic convictions. You'll remember that God was concerned about who would be the founder of faith and in Genesis, the 18th chapter, last week we read in the 17th verse of the 18th chapter, And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him? For I know him, that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken of him. I know Abraham will raise his children and his grandchildren and his heirs rightly he said we know that later on much of Israel did turn away from God but Abraham was faithful God made a covenant with him and God still maintains that covenant with Israel and he will reestablish it after the time of the Gentiles is over with the branches of Israel will be grafted in again the scripture says into the tree of faith and in one day that nation will be saved but we're talking about this biblical certainty last week we said that our children are so important Our children are so vital because there's nothing else that we can have on this earth that we can take with us to heaven. And God, therefore, gives us the responsibility and the privilege of being able to raise them up. Now, we talk about responsibilities here because it says it is my responsibility to teach them scriptural principles. We have to faithfully teach. It doesn't say that we can command and make them do anything. We can only teach them. Remember, all submission is voluntary. If a child will not submit to the parents, then God will have to deal with them in his own time and in his own way. Just like if a wife will not submit to her husband, the same thing. If others will not submit to spiritual authority, God will have to deal with them in his own way and in his own time. God has established these, these levels of authority, and we have to be able to teach them faithfully the unchanging word of God. I have to keep emphasizing this unchanging. Again, past week, I heard someone speak and they were making a statement to someone who said, but you have to understand these are the 90s. Big deal. There's some idea that's gotten into the heads of people. We don't have to go by the old principles anymore. We're living in a new day and a new age and the Word of God is no longer applicable. I want you to know something. The Word of God is settled forever in the heavens. And you and I may say well, because it's the 90s we can change our lifestyle but God's Word says it's settled forever in the heavens and we'll be judged by the Word. I've had people tell me that God, is, God does not look at sin like he once looked at sin. I said, maybe your God doesn't, but my God still does. He has not changed. God hates sin. And uh, we have to be constantly teaching to our young people that God's character and God's principles do not change. The biblical principles, by precept, by, by practice, they can not only hear it from our lips, but they can see it in our daily walk before others as they're around us. To the children and the grandchildren, this is so important family continuity. It's almost gone. I mean, even the stable home where there's a man, a husband, and a wife in the home, it's it's disappearing today. And if that's disappearing, what do you think is happening to the first generation, second generation, and third generation continuity? It's almost gone, but we must hold on to it desperately because of its importance for our grandchildren and the generations to come. We have to emphasize to them the importance of continuity. Continuity. uh, just look at a couple things look at Exodus Exodus chapter 20 when God was giving the Ten Commandments Exodus chapter 20 verses 5 and 6 Exodus chapter 20 Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them nor serve them for I the Lord thy God am a jealous God Visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. It's not, you know, a lot of people think, well, what I do is my own business. How I live is my own business. I've got news for you. What you open yourself up to, your children and grandchildren for four generations will be open to the same thing. And that will be passed on to them, and they'll pass on to the next four generations, and they'll pass on to the next four generations right on down the line. It is not okay for you and me to do what we want to do because what we do and what we open ourselves to will influence and impact our children for generations to come. And God will hold us responsible for it. It goes on in showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. He said if they'll keep my commandments and obey me for thousands of generations, they'll be blessed. God would, you know, if Adam and Eve had done what they were supposed to have done, there would have been a blessing on this earth all the way to the very end. But because of their disobedience, we're all paying for the disobedience of Adam and Eve's sin. Look with me in, in Deuteronomy, the 7th chapter. Deuteronomy chapter 7. And verse 9. Deuteronomy 7, 9. I hope you have your Bibles with you. I always have a Bible with you. Now we've got some over there on the table. Know therefore that the Lord thy God, he is... What? Deuteronomy 7, 9. Know ye therefore that the Lord thy God, he is God, the faithful God, which keepeth covenant and mercy with them that love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. He says that when we sin, it's passed on to the next four generations. When we are obedient, that blessing can go on down for a thousand generations. Very important. And one of the greatest weaknesses or causes for weaknesses in the home today is First of all, irresponsibility. We talked about that last week. I don't want the responsibility of my parents or your parents. Let's put them in a nursing home. Let's get rid of them. They're just, I mean, they're going to die before long. They just found out this past week someone was working in a nursing home, and he was taking the medication away from cancer patients and putting it in his pocket and giving them aspirin. And when he was caught, he said, what's the difference? They're going to die before long anyway. There's no sense in messing around with them. They're going to die anyway. I might as well take a medication for myself. Now, that's the attitude that many young people have today. But it came from the generation before and the generation before that. It's passing on down. It's becoming worse every generation. Irresponsibility. I don't want anything to have to take care of my grandmother. And let me tell you something, mom, dad, listen carefully. How you speak of and respond to your parents Your children will pick that up with great clarity and will remember what you did and what you said, and it will come back. You can't sit on buzzard's eggs and raise chicks. Whatever you sow, you will reap sooner or later, and that's why you must show respect for your parents in order that your children will learn how to have respect for their parents. That's why God says to honor your parents. And I said last week that means to have the highest respect and affection for them. In Leviticus, the 19th chapter of the third verse, it said fear every man, his father and his mother. Leviticus 19.3, fear every man, his father and his mother. And that word fear there means reverence, awe. It means adoration for the father and the mother. Have fear, awe, reverence. How many of you know today? If you stand around, most young people, you don't. You see a total absence of that. It's my old lady, my old man. Hey, get off my back! Will you quit bugging me? Leave me alone! What business do you have coming into my room? Who gave you permission to see and see what was in my room? I want to tell you something. Wait till, wait till the the sword falls. God says He hates rebellion. He hates disobedience. Proverbs six twenty and twenty one. It says to keep your father's commandments. When your father gives you rules in the house, we're to keep them. It's not that we're disobeying our father. When we fail to keep those commandments, we are failing God. We're disobeying God. And then in Ephesians 6, 1, it says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. We said last week that God was so emphatic about this in the Old Testament if a parent, and we talked about it in Sunday school this morning, if a, a parent had a child that rebelled against them and said things harshly to them, they would bring them out before the tribes and they would be stoned to death. And let me tell you something. Disobedience and rebellion was very unpopular in that day. It was sudden. It was certain. I saw on television news this week that one man is now for the sixth time, I think, receiving his death sentence. It's been signed again for him to be executed. And he has been playing this game for 23 years after killing a woman. You wonder why there's no justice in this nation? Why men are not afraid? Why be afraid? I mean, if a man kills somebody at the age of 50 and he can stay in the prison for 23 years and enjoy all that they've got to offer them today in the prisons. why be afraid of killing someone? The Scripture says that when swift justice does not take place, that sin abounds. We talked about re- irresponsibility. Let me just reverse that with what I call reverse selfishness. And that is not just that we say, let's get rid of our parents. When the parents start saying, hey, we raised ours, you do your job. And this is our, we, we, we've done our job. now we're, we're gone. We're out of here. Don't want to have anything? You just take care of your own kids. And I'll tell you, there are a lot of parents, I've heard them down through the years, to them, their, their children are nothing but a, a bother and a chore and constantly disrupting their schedule and the thing they want to do. I had a woman tell me years ago in one of my churches, she had four little boys, and she said, I'll be so glad when these kids are grown up and gone. I can't stand kids. You think kids can't pick that up? You're nothing but a bother to me. You're just in my way. And let me tell you something, a lot of that is what's happening back to them now, from that generation to this generation, it's happening back. Well, you didn't want me around, you didn't love me, you didn't like me, I was in your way all the time, well, I'll get out of your way and I won't have anything to do with you. What we sow, we reap. But this is just reversed now. To them, children were not a blessing, they were not a ministry, they were not a calling from God to raise them up in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. But I want to tell you something, once a parent, always a parent. Some people say, well, when that kid gets out of college, it'll be off my back. I want to tell you something. There's still a chain of command, there's still a spiritual authority that's there. Now, when I say that, I'm not saying, kids, that that means that mom and dad are free babysitters. That's not what we're talking about at all. That's not respectful. I've had kids that get mad at their parents because they won't babysit for them every time they want to go off and do their own thing. That's not their responsibility. But they should be there to strengthen the family, be there to reinforce biblical principles, reinforce what's righteousness and what's right and wrong, but not to the place where, hey, all you're good for is babysitting my kids now. That's not what we're talking about here at all. I want to make that very clear. It's not a place to come and dump your brats. No one's like brats. I know of a parent, I guess I can put this in my sermons, not in my notes. These parents that had this absolutely uncontrollable little guy and they couldn't stand it and they just couldn't get it. I mean he was just constantly tearing everything up and the parents said grandparents said not us no we've had enough of him we can't, we just can't watch him 24 hours a day and that's what you've got to do so the parents wanted to go away for a weekend and they came by the house and dumped the kid out in the front yard and took off and the parents lived out in the, the grandparents lived out in the farm and they came back on Sunday night the little guy was sitting out in the front curb and they said what happened he said oh yeah we had a good time he said really what happened he said well he said, Grandpa was playing a game with me. He'd take me out in the middle of the lake and throw me off the boat, and I'd have to get back to shore. And he said, well, wasn't that kind of hard? Oh, no. He said, getting to shore wasn't hard. Getting out of that rock full of, a sack full of rocks was what really tough." You see, you can't dump your brats off on your kids. You've got to correct them and teach them how to respond and how to respect while you have them at home so that when they come, they will be a joy to the grandparents. And grandparents, please don't pick up this philosophy today. It's the right of the grandparent to spoil the grandchildren. Garbage. It's the responsibility of the grandparents to reinforce what the parents are trying to teach if they're teaching biblical principles. And if they're not, you should try to reinforce them while you've got them. Parents are to highly esteem their parents. They should go to them for direction. Now once you're married, you don't I mean parents can't tell you what to do, but you should be going to them for guidance and direction. <coughs> After all, they've been they've been down that road. They've experienced a lot of things. Now I know there's some parents that would be very, very conservative. Very restrictive and, well, I wouldn't do that at all. Well, why? Because i just not that kind. But maybe you have a different disposition, but you should still respect their, their position. And if they give you counsel and you mess up, you should have enough respect to be able to go back to them and say, I was wrong. Would you please forgive me? I should have listened to you. That's very difficult for people today, but that's the kind of respect we should have for parents today. If your relationship with your children were what God intended for them to be, and I believe that they'll rise up and call you blessed and they'll be coming to you for, for information, for counsel and situation. If you'll do that, you'll take the responsibility that God gives to you to respect your parents. They will come back and they will be a godly influence on your children and on your children's children. So important for us to understand that. Parents are to teach their children, we've talked about this time and time again on this principle, teach them scriptural principles, and, and, and I might ask, do you know scriptural principles? I've had parents say to me, I wish I would have known these when I was a child. And when I was young, when I first got married, before I had children. Well, it's not too late. Learn them now. And then teach them to your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren. But that's the responsibility of a parent and a grandparent is to teach godly scriptural principles and godly character to your children. Every child, whether he likes it or not, is going to be a byproduct of their home. What they've learned in their home, what they've experienced in their home, what they've seen in their home, some parents wonder why their children are the way they are they they pick up things they catch more than they're ever taught they catch principles they catch attitudes and so forth in the home we have to teach them about dress you know that's that's something that's very very touchy today what do they call in this generation X generation but they call it the grunge generation if I can look as absolutely horrible as I possibly can when I put on my clothes man then I'm cool may I just read to you what the the Bible says in Romans uh, chapter 12 verse 2 now, this is not Pastor Webb speaking. This is the Word of God speaking. In Living Bible, Romans chapter 12, verse 2, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but be a new and different kind of person. Don't copy the customs and behavior of this world. And when I look at some young people today, the way they dress, and I look at the rock music groups, and I look at the, the gangs that are in rebellion, you can't tell the difference. When I see young people that need to, someone needs to get them a pair of suspenders. I I just get so nervous when I see them walking down the street. They think that's so cool to have their pants clear down around their hips. Parents, we have to have a a part in how our children dress. Now, let me tell you something. They'll dress that many times because of their own poor self-image, because of their own insecurities and fear of rejection, and trying to impress their peers. Well, wouldn't it be wonderful if Christians would begin to impress their peers by being able to show a better standard, a better way of life, a better way to walk and talk? You listen to some young people speak today and you you want to tell them whatever's in your mouth, spit it out. What is that that's gummed up your mouth? Nothing. There's nothing in your mouth? No, nothing. Well, tell me what you just said again. Yes, yes, yes. They will not open their mouths and speak. Well, that's cool, man. That's cool. But the Word of God says that we are to speak clearly and declare clearly But we're going to be like the world. We don't take the customs of the world. We're not to be like them. We have to be very careful we don't get caught up in the behavior and the customs of the world. And only parents and grandparents can teach that to their children. And if the children come back and say, well, you're just not cool, man. I mean, he's not with the thing. I mean, you're not with it today. I've got news for you. We're still with the Word of God. And the Word of God says we are to be a light in the world. How many of you could go to a high school, typical high school today, and walk down the hall and say, there's a Christian, there's a Christian, there's a Christian, and, and be able to pick them out? Not just by outward looks. You want to know how you can basically tell a Christian? Look at their eyes. A truly obedient Christian. Look at their eyes. Well, let me tell you something. You have, your eyes are bright and clear, and you have joy in your heart. It should affect how you dress, too. Well, Mom, all the kids in school are doing it. Yeah, but all the kids aren't my kids. And if all the kids are my kids, everybody dressed dress differently. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that wonderful that you can have a unique home and a unique mom and dad that doesn't let you dress like that? You're going to thank God one of these days. <laughs> yes, you will. You'll thank God one of these days. Nobody can establish that but you as parents in the home. And then speech. What comes out of your mouth tells what's in your heart. And when young people get with other young people, what do they talk about? You must teach them how to stand alone and how not to compromise and how to be able to be a witness and a testimony wherever they go. Well, the question is, Mom and Dad, are we witnesses and testimonies wherever we go? Again, they catch more than they learn. They will find out from you if you're embarrassed or you're kind of afraid you wouldn't want to you know, upset somebody because you told them about Jesus Christ. Young people are going to pick up on that very quickly. Isn't it interesting how the Reed children over in Spain, you give them a, a, a chalkboard and they'll be gone and they'll be out there witnessing on the streets. Why? Mom and Dad have done it from the word go and Mom and Dad stand right alongside of them while they do it and come away and say, Son, I'm really proud of you. You really did a good job. These kids are trained to be witnesses for Jesus Christ. How? By the parents. Well, why doesn't the church have some program like that? No, it wasn't the church. It was the parents. My children and grandchildren belong to God and it's my responsibility to teach them. Yeah, preacher, you're just saying it because you don't want to take your responsibility. No, I'm taking my responsibility. I'm teaching you. And I'm showing you what the Word of God says. And then you have to take those principles back and teach them to your children. And then their conduct. One of the greatest ways to find out if someone loves Jesus Christ and been trained properly in the home is their respect for other people and their respect for other people's possessions and belongings you know we're seeing all of a sudden coming down to this uh, when you're if you came from New York City you know that you can't have a clean wall up there everything has graffiti on it that's a lack of respect for other people's property there's some areas I'm told up in in New York City if you park your car and go away in half an hour you come back you'll have nothing but a shell I mean everything is gone doors dashboard tires everything is gone the hood the trunk nothing but the frame is left Why? no respect for other people's property if you ever have some young people in your home, watch how they conduct themselves when they come to the table. Do they know how to eat properly? Well, if those school teachers would be more responsible and teach them why, it was, uh-huh. Not the school teacher's responsibility. You and I are to teach our children how to access the table. Watch how they sit down on your furniture. I had some company this last week and said one person, and it was an adult that was rather large in size, doesn't come and sit down once they get off balance they just let go and went right down through the couch. Instead of finding a hard, straight chair that they could have sat on, they went right down through the couch. But young people many times will come and jump in the air and land on the couch. Or they'll get up on furniture and walk all over the furniture. We have children in our home now that I'll have to say, take your feet off the chair. And then sometimes the parents will come to oh yeah, take 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 your feet off the chair, yeah. But at home they jump all over the furniture. And they think, what's wrong with Pastor Webb? Nothing wrong with Pastor Webb. These are the principles that should be taught to our children at home. You say, Pastor, you're gone from preaching to meddling. No, I'm telling you that it's my responsibility to teach my children how to react and respect other people's property. I have children get in my car, and all of a sudden I notice they're flicking little switches and they're pulling open ashtrays. My children were never allowed to play with the ashtrays and the buttons in my car. There are many times I had to stop, get out, spank their hands and say, you do not touch that. That's not for you to touch. Yodi's laughing because she knows how many times she got spanked for opening the ashtrays and start playing around with it. Uh, it would snap. They'd go, snap, snap, snap. That's fun. they listen to that little snap in it. But people get in my car and do that now and I want to pull over and say, give me your hand and smack their hands. Say, you don't do that. You don't do that to other people's property. You say you're getting picky. No, it's very important that we teach children how to act responsibly in society. Why? So there'll be a witness and a testimony to others round about them. Getting picky unish here, Pastor. No, I wish you understood how most of you understood how important this really is to teach them godly character and then basic convictions. Learn them. Learn these basic convictions, and then make it a very high priority in your life to train your children and teach them these things. And again, it's not enough to teach your children. You've got to teach them how to teach these principles to others. Why? So when they have their children, you won't be disappointed by seeing them allow their children to do things you know you never allowed your children to do.